Welcome to Web Sleuths Radio Podcast. This is Trisha Griffith. I am the proud owner of WebSleuths.com. I do think it's the best true crime discussion forum in the universe, and we have the best people on there. It's nothing I do. It's all of the members who come on from all over the world, and uh, they, they help out a lot of people, help with a lot of missing persons cases and other true crime cases. So check it out, WebSleuths.com. Today, I am so thrilled have this gentleman on our show. Rick Allen Ross is the founder and executive director of the Cult Education Institute. Now this is a nonprofit database dedicated to providing information on controversial groups and movements. Since 1996, he is an internationally known expert and author of the book, Cults Inside Out, How People Get In and Can Get Out. Since 1982, he's helped deprogram, and it's made him a lot of enemies. Most recently, he was featured in the series Seduced, Inside the Nexium Cult, that's currently streaming on the Stars Network. You have got to see this. Rick Ross, welcome to WebSuits Radio Podcast. Uh, Boy, I bet you have made a lot of enemies. A quick question before we get into the, the meat and potatoes of a cult. Legally, can you still... We've heard about, you know, cults in the 80s where parents hire someone to go grab somebody and they kidnap them off the street and then they keep them in a room for uh, 14 days. Is that Does that still happen or is it a different way that you try and deprogram now? Uh, Tricia, it's totally different. Uh, now, the only way that a parent could forcibly detain a, a child would be if that child is a minor and then they could assert their parental prerogatives and restrain the child and say, look, you're a minor and you have to stay here, and uh, the authorities would be helpful in that. Uh, In very rare circumstances, I've done interventions, uh, typically in a hospital setting, where someone has been basically committed, uh, signed into a mental institution because of their erratic behavior, that has been cult-related, and then I might come in and and work with them in a lockdown facility. But that's very rare. So the type of involuntary deprogramming that you're talking about basically stopped by the end of the 80s, around 1990, and very little occurred after that. Understood. Okay. Let's get into how this all got started for you. You are basically the leading expert on cults. How did you get started exposing cults? That's not a a career choice at your high school during career day. How did that happen? Well, I started out as an anti-cult activist community organizer in Phoenix, Arizona. My grandmother lived in a nursing home, and a weird religious fringe group infiltrated the paid professional staff of the nursing home and accosted my grandmother. That was in 1982. When I found out, I was, to put it mildly, not happy. And uh, I approached the director of the nursing home, and he did an investigation, and five members of the paid staff were fired because of their involvement in this particular group and their agenda to target elderly residents within the nursing home. And that that led to me being a community organizer in Phoenix, uh, sitting on a number of committees, then national committees. And during the 80s, I worked for a social service agency and an educational bureau in Phoenix, uh, doing interventions through the social service agency 
and teaching young people and later adults to be aware of cults. And, and I had a course curriculum called uh, Conversion Through Coercion that I taught for a number of years. So that's how it all got started. Uh, then I started doing my work privately, and I started traveling all over the United States and later internationally. I've done more than 500 interventions, and I also act as a court expert in uh, custody cases, criminal cases, personal injury cases. I've been qualified, accepted, and testified as an expert in court in 10 states, including United States federal court. Wow. Oh, we've got so much to talk about. Uh, before we get to Nexium, let's talk about what makes a cult. Some people would say all organized religions are cults, and we know that's not the case. How would you differentiate, when we're talking about religion, how would you differentiate between organized and a cult? What's the line there? Where do you draw that line? Well, first of all, uh, Tricia, a, a cult is not necessarily religious. Right, right. For example, for example, Nexium was not a religious organization. It was actually a for-profit corporation that sold seminars and, and touted a philosophy that Keith Raniere, the leader, created called Rational Inquiry as a kind of cure-all for everything. Uh, then there's groups that are therapy cults, political cults, martial arts cults, uh, multi-level marketing schemes that become cults. What they all share in common, I would call, are, say, are three core characteristics. And that would be, number one, that there is an absolute totalitarian leader that becomes an object of worship, is the defining element and driving force of the group, someone like Jim Jones, David Koresh, uh, Charlie Manson. And then number two, that that leader uses coercive persuasion to break people down, change them, lock them in into a position of undue influence where they can be easily manipulated. Mm -hmm. We call that we call that brainwashing. Okay. Uh, but it can, but it really is more uh, specifically identified as a thought reform program, as defined by a psychiatrist Robert J. Lipton in his book thought reform and the psychology of totalism. And then finally, uh, the third uh, aspect would be that the group does harm, and then it would be defined as a destructive cult, as opposed to perhaps a benign cult. And, and uh, this would entail uh, financial exploitation, free labor, it could escalate to medical neglect, uh, sexual uh, harassment, sexual uh, abuse, and then it could go even further into criminal activity, as it did in Nexium, as it did with the Waco Davidians uh, and Jim Jones. So that varies by degree from group to group. Not all destructive cults are equally as destructive. So you have those three core characteristics, the worship of that all-powerful all leader, that is the defining element of the group, two, that the group uses what we call brainwashing techniques to gain undue influence over people. And then finally, that the group exploits and does harm to the people that are in it. And when you have those basic components, uh, it doesn't really matter what the group believes. Mm -hmm. It's more important to focus on how they behave, their dynamics, and their structure. 
let's talk about Scientology. We're going to talk about uh, three topics today, and it's all cult-related. Scientology, Chad and Lori Daybell, and then and then the big one, the the Nexium. That is just oh my God, I can't even can't even barely go there. But uh, but Scientology, they have a a habit of suing people. Now, how did you get involved in that? And didn't they almost push you to the brink of bankruptcy with lawsuits? Well, they did. I they mean, did. they pushed me. Uh, I was involved in an involuntary deprogramming uh, for a family in Bellevue, Washington, near Seattle. Mm -hmm. Scientology recruited the young man who ran away uh, at the conclusion of the deprogramming and uh, contacted the police. I went through a criminal trial in which I was acquitted and found not guilty. And then Scientology recruited this young man who wasn't in Scientology to become uh, essentially a puppet plaintiff, and I was sued in federal court into bankruptcy. Oh later, later, the young man, Jason Scott, left the group that uh, his mother was so concerned about, mm -hmm. uh, this small, small religious group in Bellevue with a very authoritarian leader, and uh, he returned to his family and he ended up selling me the judgment that was obtained against me by Scientology attorneys in the amount of over $2 million. And he said, Rick, if you will uh, give me 200 hours of your time uh, to help me deprogram my wife mm -hmm. uh, that, I, that I married in the group and get my kids out uh, and give me 5000 in cash, I'll call it even. Oh and so I, so I did. But... His wife never did come out. Mm -hmm. uh, he was he ended up being estranged from her, divorced. The kids were raised away from him, and he was put in the same position that his mother was once in, cut off from his children. And so uh, that was my kind of dance with Scientology. Though Scientology has harassed me by hiring private investigators to pursue me, shadow mm -hmm. me, and uh, I've been threatened by them many times with additional lawsuits, which they uh, did not file. I think they were just bluffing. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, it seems like uh, Scientology has lost some of its power now. Are they still trying to harass you, or are they too busy with Leah Remini? I think they're pretty busy with <laughs> Leah Remini. Good. Uh, and, she, and she's doing a great job. I mean, uh, she and Mike Rinder, yes. who was the pub public uh, relations guy for Scientology, who was their spokesperson for years, uh, those two have done a wonderful job of turning Scientology inside out mm -hmm. by uh, exposing everything, on, and they have so much knowledge from so many years in the organization. Mm -hmm. I mean, Scientology, just so your listeners understand, basically they kind of sell what they call tech. Uh, people go through uh, graduated courses. They move up uh, what they call the operating Thetan levels. There's uh, levels one through eight. Mm -hmm. uh, it, can it can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to move up these levels, and it's very expensive. Scientology is very focused on money. And uh, they will teach their people that if someone criticizes Scientology, like me, uh, they're a suppressive person right. or an SP. And if you associate with an SP, you can be labeled a PTS, a potential trouble source, which is why I think Tom Cruise, who is a devout Scientologist, has very little to do with his daughter, 
a Surrey cruise That's because so she is with her mother, uh, Katie Holmes, mm-hmm. who I would I would guess is labeled an SP yes. by Scientology, and therefore Surrey, uh, Tom Cruise's daughter, could be labeled a PTS. Oh, that, how tragic. That is just disgusting, and you would think somebody that is obviously as intelligent as Tom Cruise would get it. But since he is the face of, of Scientology, I guess he has to practice what he preaches. And But who knows? Maybe they make special... Um, you know, special uh, rules for him. But I, I want to talk about, not about the leaders, but I want to talk about the people, the people on the ground floor that go in and just give their lives and their blood, sweat, and tears. What are they looking for, and how do they allow themselves to be caught up in something so destructive as as a non-benign cult? Well, Tricia, I would say that they are lied to, preyed upon, and deceived. Mm -hmm. I would say that in my experience dealing with thousands of ex-cult members, that they're typically tricked and then trapped into these groups. They had no intention of getting involved in the things that they were later involved in, and they were deceived. I would see it as a bait-and-switch con. Mm -hmm. You tell people, look, this is the good stuff that I'm going to give you and that you're going to get in this group, And you're often being approached by somebody who's a relative, a romantic interest, a co-worker, a friend, and they themselves are sold on the group, and they're telling you, hey, come on, it's great. And maybe, maybe, and this is a consistent thread that I've pulled through a number of cases, you're going through a difficult time in your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're depressed, you're sad, you're lonely, uh, you're recently divorced, you've lost your job, school you're flunking out, something is not quite right, and you're not feeling good about your life. And at that point, somebody comes along, somebody that you have some trust with or would like to believe because they present themselves in a very positive light and they're very deceptive, and you think, hey, this group has answers. This group could be helpful to me. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in many cases, the people who are involved Uh, are very enticing. For example, Tom Cruise, uh, uh, John Travolta, Kirstie Alley, Elizabeth Moss, uh, all involved in Scientology. And you see these people that are celebrities, they're they're very successful, they're smart, they're attractive, and you think to yourself, well, if they're in, why not me? I mean, maybe, and, and of course, Tom Cruise is telling you and other people in Scientology. I don't know where I'd be without Scientology. Mm -hmm. It's made me a success. It's made me a better person. Uh, I think I owe a great deal of what I've achieved to Scientology. That's what they'll tell you. And then you've got Madonna, who has been involved in a group called the Kabbalah Center, and Donna... Donna Karen, the fashion designer, also involved in that group. Roseanne Barr, also involved. And then we, you, you go to Nexium, and there were celebrities, very wealthy, influential people involved in that group, including Claire and Sarah Bronfman, heiress, heiresses to the Seagram's liquor fortune. And you had uh, Allison Mack, a TV star who was in the series Smallville. And at one point, Kristen Krug, who was a a star in that same series, a very prominent actor. And so you had all these celebrities and these glamorous people involved in these various groups, and it can be quite enticing. And let's let's talk about that group for 
uh, right now, and then we're going to talk about Chad and Tammy Daybell for just a moment. But um, the the docu series that you were involved with is is a fascinating look into the group. Now, let's start at the end. The group leader was just sentenced. Tell us about him and what he was sentenced for, what he was found guilty of. Well, you know, I testified against him in the criminal trial uh, near the end of the uh, trial, which went on for some time. He was sentenced to 120 years in prison, mm -hmm. and uh, by federal guidelines, he'll have to serve, I think, 102 years. He's now 60, so I think it's safe to say that Keith Ranieri uh, will die in prison. He was convicted on sex trafficking, tax fraud, uh, racketeering. Uh, you know, he, he, he basically used Nexium as a vehicle to recruit women to become his sex slaves. And, and his behavior became incredibly destructive and escalated over a period of years. I first became aware of Keith Ranieri in 2002-2003. Uh, and at that time, I would say he was a destructive cult leader, but nothing compared to how he was at the time of his arrest. Mm -hmm. When he was br brutally torturing women, he was having uh, surrogates hold them down while a, a follower of his who was a doctor, a DO, would brand them with his initials <sighs> using a cauterizing iron with no anesthetic. And these women had these... Uh, very uh, terrible scars on mm -hmm. their pelvis that was uh, the mark of their inclusion in this subgroup within Nexium called DOS, which was basically sex slaves. Mm -hmm. And Allison Mack was, uh, was the delegated head of that. Uh, Lauren Salzman, who also has uh, been involved in the criminal proceedings. There are the Nexium Five which is uh, Keith Ranieri, uh, the leader, Nancy Salzman, who was the second-in-command and co-founder, her daughter, Lauren Salzman, Allison Mack, who headed uh, the sex slaves in large part, and uh, uh, Kath, Kath, uh, I think her name is Catherine or Kathy Russell, mm -hmm. who was the book, bookkeeper. They've all pled, uh, four of them have pled guilty to... Uh, charges. Uh, uh, oh, and I, I think I forgot one, Claire Bronfman. So there would be six of them, okay. excuse me. And Claire Bronfman, of course, is the one of the Seagram's heiresses who was in the group. She gave, it's estimated, over $100 million to, to Keith Ranieri and Nexium. She is now sentenced to almost seven years in prison for enabling him and being involved in uh, forced labor and various things that went on in the group. So all of them are facing sentencing. I would guess that uh, Nancy Salzman will get a, about three to five, mm -hmm. uh, that Al Allison Mack may get seven to 10, and Lauren Salzman, who was recruited by her mother at a very young age and pulled into the group and sexually exploited by Keith Ranieri, uh, she did terrible things under his control, so she will probably, even though she testified against him in the criminal trial, she may likely get five or more years, and perhaps Kathy Harris may may get probation or some kind of work program. She was involved 
in uh, charge card fraud was the, I believe, the charge that she pled out to. Uh, how that Nancy woman could do that to her own daughter is unforgivable and disgusting. What was Nexium? I couldn't even begin to comprehend what the hell they were even talking about. It really, well, I mean, it, it was bizarre. It was, it was a kind of a ripoff, really. I mean, Keith Raniere copied a lot of what he taught in Nexium. Uh, from Scientology. Mm -hmm. Another piece of it was copied from Ayn Rand's philosophy called Objectivism. Ayn Rand wrote the book Atlas Shrugged, okay. Fountainhead. Uh, and then also his multi-level structure was copied from Amway, mm -hmm. uh, which he, Keith Raniere was once an Amway distributor. And then uh, the, the structure of the seminars, which could go 16 days, uh, was copied, I think, largely from Landmark Education, which does something called the Forum, formerly called Earhart Seminars Training, or Is that Ask. Ask, yeah. Ask was a big in the, uh, in the early 80s, I remember, yeah. Uh, Tricia, they're bigger than ever now. Do not tell uh, me that. Oh, my they're, God. They're, they're global, and I think last I checked, uh, they're, they're bringing in and fees about 75 to 100 million a year. Oh. So, so Keith Raniere, was, he copied all of these sources, and he put together his seminars, which he sold for a lot of money. Uh, people would max out their credit cards buying these seminars. Mm -hmm. And then he would tell them, if you recruit other people, and this is where the multi-level marketing comes in, uh, you will get a piece of, of, of the money from that. Uh, but he would drain their money. I mean, I, I just don't know of anybody who really – did well financially, other than Keith Raniere and Nancy Salzman mm -hmm. uh, in Nexium. Uh, people uh, were constantly enrolling in course after course and spending a lot of money. And then they would donate money to Keith Raniere as well. And the philosophy that he taught was a rational inquiry, which incorporated a kind of uh, Socratic question and answer method of getting at something which uh, Keith Raniere called EMs, or Exploration of Meaning. And this was very similar to Scientology, what they call auditing, mm -hmm. which is you, you, you talk with somebody and you keep asking them questions to get at what's bothering them. And in Scientology, uh, people are holding two metal cans in their hands that are connected to a box, called so an e-meter, yeah. which, measures, which measures nervous tension, mm -hmm. though they will say it measures the negative reactive mind, and that gives the auditor, the questioner that works with uh, Scientology, a, a kind of upper hand because they know when you're nervous, mm -hmm. when your palms are fidgeting and sweating, and they measure it, and then when they ask you a question they see the needle move to indicate that nervous tension, they then drill down in that. Mm -hmm. And in much the same way, Keith Raniere used EMs and, and his seminars to drill down and, and leverage the, the, uh, the, the weak weaknesses, the, the pain, the suffering, whatever it was in each individual that he could mine and then, uh, and then use that to get control over them, to manipulate them. Mm -hmm. And he, he did this all the time, and in the end, he actually required each woman that became part of this group, DOS, to give him collateral, 
which was all their secrets, uh, pictures of themselves, perhaps in the nude. All uh, really the, embarrassing the, stuff, right? Whatever, whatever they gave him, he would then have control over, and that could be used as leverage to, to ensure their compliance, their obedience. Mm -hmm. uh, Keith, Keith Ranieri uh, had just this intense desire to have ultimate power and control over women, and he would humiliate women, he would degrade women, he would, uh, of course, have sex with many women in the group, and it, this was uh, this constantly was escalating over a period of years until it ended up in torture. Oh, God. Did did it start out? Did Nexium start out as a uh, uh, basically a sex trade for this 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 monster Keith? Did it start out that way, or was it more money and then it evolved to sex? It it, it evolved. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an inner circle of of women that catered to Ranieri, uh, going all the way back to when I first became aware of the group in 2002. Uh, but it was, uh, it was not really all about that. It wasn't as focused on that. Mm -hmm. uh, initially, it was a seminar series of courses uh, that were a kind of self-help kind of thing that was supposed to make you a better person and, and make you a better worker. In fact, he called the program executive success programs. Mm -hmm. And the, the idea was if you become involved with this, you'll be a much better executive, you'll be more efficient, you'll be more productive. And uh, eventually, uh, Forbes magazine did a cover story about, about Keith Ranieri. Mm -hmm. However, it was not flattering. And in part, it relied on reports that, uh, that I had published at the Cult Education Institute uh, website. Uh, these reports were based on study notes that I obtained through a former member of the group that I had worked with. Mm -hmm. And uh, I gave these, uh, these study notes for the, for the seminar series to a forensic psychiatrist and a clinical psychologist. They then wrote three uh, analytical papers which are published at the Cult Education Institute. And those papers became, in part, the basis for the Forbes article. And that also became the basis for Keith Ranieri filing a lawsuit against me for defamation, copyright infringement, trade secret violation that went on, uh, Tricia, for 14 years. Oh, dear God. In, fe in federal court until it was dismissed shortly before Ranieri was arrested. Oh, you know, it must be so frustrating to you to see what uh, this Keith Ranieri and Nancy Salzman and, and these, I just call them monsters, are doing. And they're doing it, um, what you can see, they're doing it within the law, but you know it's illegal, you know it's harmful, and you're doing everything you can, but there's only so much you can do, and then they turn right around and sue you. It just seems so wrong. And thank you. Thank you for not giving up. Let's talk about this Nancy Salzman person. Now, she came in once Catherine Oxenberg's daughter, I think that's her name, uh, was part of this. When, when this famous actress was there, all of a sudden Nancy shows up to one of these, I guess you would call it a recruitment meeting, and, and tries to get um, a, a famous person, you know, that's, they, they, they used Nancy 
she was the big guns they brought out when somebody famous was there. Tell us about her and was she able to recruit any other famous people other than what you've told us already? Tell us a little bit about her and then what she was able to do, please. Well, she was a very powerful person in Nexium. Nancy Salzman is an RN, registered nurse, uh, and she was once married to a doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she was the mother of Lauren Salzman. Uh, I think Nancy also uh, trained as a in hypnotherapy, and she also studied neurolinguistic programming (NLP), mm -hmm. which is a method which is a method of communication used to manipulate people uh, by uh, speaking in certain uh, ways and and by matching uh, people uh, physically, for example, their breathing, their gestures. And, and also painting a, a verbal picture that is acutely sensitive to what, what, they, what their background is. Like, for example, if that person was athletic, you would talk in, in sports terms or whatever. So Nancy was uh, uh, very good at NLP. She, she understood hypnotherapy. She was a seminar person who had done a lot of large group awareness training and what she brought to the table was all of the so-called technology that Keith Raniere would basically build Nexium on. Mm -hmm. So she was she was his co-founder. He he used the title Vanguard, and she used the title Prefect, and they were a team. Uh, in fact, I met Nancy at a court-ordered mediation during the litigation I was involved in, and she and Keith Raniere were like attached at the hip. And uh, they, they would, you know, work very closely together. But it was Nancy that was more of the recruiter and the enforcer, and Keith Raniere, who was the kind of philosopher king that was supposedly a genius that, that no one really dealt with as much as they would deal with people like Nancy. Now, Nancy would eventually do a plea deal very early on. She was the first one to flip. Oh, wow, that's so surprising. Think, yeah, 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 I think she got probably what she feels is the best deal, which ironically may end up being less time in prison than her daughter, who would never have been involved with Nexium if it wasn't for her mother. Yeah. Uh, and so Nancy would be, uh, she was really... Uh, really much more active, as you said, in the recruitment process. Mm -hmm. And and she would recruit people like Allison Mack. She would be used to nail these people down. Uh, she would work very closely with Claire and Sarah Bronfman. Uh, she would uh, fly with them on their private jet. She would go to New York with them, travel with them. Uh, she worked uh, with Catherine Oxenberg. She met with her and her then-husband, Casper Van Deem, the actor. Mm -hmm. And so she really was a handler in the group, and she was much more uh, precise, much more of a worker than Keith Raniere, who, in my opinion, was really kind of a lazy bones and would uh, spend a lot of time laying around in this little condo that he had in, in the Albany, New York area. And he would he would you know, sleep during the day, walk around during the night. He kept very odd hours. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a, he was a very strange guy. But everyone was told, this man is a genius. He has an IQ of over 200. 
he is a he was a martial arts uh, a prodigy when he was a little boy. And all of this stuff I later found out was basically made up. Uh, yeah. Because when 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 Keith Raniere was deposed and I sat through his deposition, he more or less admitted, I can't substantiate any of these claims. And in fact, in fact, the FBI revealed that his college grades were anything but reflective of a genius. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's usually is the case. They they lied about so much, they start to believe their own publicity. Okay, so somebody like the the heiresses, the ones that were it was at the Seagrams. Um, is that the uh, the heiresses uh, family? Was it? The... Yeah, they were the da- they were the daughters of Edgar Bronfman Sr., who was a multi billionaire uh, that inherited the Seagrams liquor fortune. Right. Okay. And 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 Sarah and Claire Bronfman each had very large trust funds of hundreds of millions of dollars. And Keith Raniere recruited them when they were in their very early 20s. So why would somebody like that, who obviously, these two women, I'm sure, were very worldly. They had all the money in the world. Why would both of them fall under a spell to this little pipsqueak who obviously had issues with who he was as a man, and fall under this spell of this this person and, and turn around and give them all their money and end up going to prison for them. Why did they fall well, under a spell? Well, more so Claire Bronfman, who is in prison right now. Mm-hmm. Her sister Sarah is in Europe and has not been charged, uh, though I think that uh, some of the victims plan to sue both Bronfmans. Uh, if they if they haven't already, mm-hmm. uh, I think the answer to that is they were very naive. They were very young. They grew up and had a very sheltered life. Claire Bronfman uh, never graduated high school. Uh, she wasn't the, the brightest bulb. Uh, her sister, in, in, from what I've heard, is not exactly an intellect either. Oh dear. Uh, they're, they're, uh, in, by contrast, their father, Edgar Bronfman Sr was a very famous man. He was considered a hero in the Jewish community in the United States and Canada. Uh, he advocated on behalf of Holocaust victims. He was, uh, he led the, uh, uh, he led the uh, Jewish, Nas- Jewish Congre- World Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was a very uh, towering figure, a hero to many Jewish people and very well known. And I think the girls, in they 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 labored in his shadow, and I think they they wanted to be about something. They wanted to right. accomplish something. They knew that their father had accomplished great things, and I suspect that they felt, well, what in the end will we have done? Mm-hmm. And so so they they were under the false impression, and I think they were lied to, and they were tricked, and they were. Uh, manipulated. Keep in mind that the Dalai Lama of Tibet, who won a Nobel Peace Prize, he actually came to Albany and awarded Keith Raniere a scarf of to denote his his achievement. That's and, right. Uh, oh my God! And there was a photo op with the Dalai Lama. Later, it's it, it has been revealed that the Bronfmans gave the Dalai Lama or his foundation, or his charity, a very big check, 
uh, more than a million dollars, I'm told. Mm -hmm. And he he showed up in Albany. Uh, He shouldn't have. Many people sent him information so that he would understand how bad of a person Keith Raniere was and how evil the organization Nexium was. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were many victims by the time the Dalai Lama showed up in Albany. But the Dalai Lama, in my opinion, was persuaded by the money that the Bronfmans gave him. Uh, And he showed up in Albany and he gave them all these ceremonial scarves and and did a photo op. And when you have someone like that showing up uh, for an event, uh, believe me, you think, well, if the Dalai Lama of Tibet thinks that this guy is a a hero, maybe he is. Mm -hmm. And of course. And of course, that's why they brought him in. And so, so I think the the sisters, the Bronfman sisters, they truly believed at one point that they were going to accomplish something wonderful, something great. Uh, though I suspect at a certain point, they knew that they were covering up and enabling someone who was allegedly doing terrible things. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why Claire Bronfman is in prison. And it's it's so sad. I would I I assume they were worldly women since they had so much wealth and of who their father was. But apparently, that wasn't the case. And sometimes I guess when you're searching, you're just like anybody else. You're wanting to be loved and wanting to accomplish something, and you get taken advantage of. And uh, Keith Raniere knew how to do that. Keith and Nancy, I mean the one-two punch. They were they were just like gasoline and fire. It seems like when they got together, bad things happened. Real quickly before we get on to Chad and Lori Daybell, when when you help deprogram somebody, what do you do? How do you start that? Well, uh, I've deprogrammed people from Nexium. I deprogrammed Scientologists, Waco Davidians, many people from different groups that you've probably heard of. I've worked with over 500 uh, people in various interventions. About seven out of 10 will decide at the end of an intervention, which lasts about three or four days, that they're going to leave the group. Uh, And in my book, Cults Inside Out, Mm -hmm. I I lay out step-by-step how an intervention works. First, I, I have a chapter on assessment then a chapter on coping strategies, one on preparation for an intervention, and then one on intervention, and then numerous chapters that are case vignettes, uh, actually showing how an intervention goes down. But an intervention is basically eight hours a day for three to four consecutive days in a discussion, a dialogue, uh, that basically is uh, supported by four pillars. Mm-hmm. And th- those pillars are, first, what is a destructive cult? What are, what are its defining attributes, and, and how might that apply to the group that has drawn concern? Uh, number two, what is thought reform? Uh, what kind of influence techniques or coercive persuasion is used by, by a cult group to gain undue influence over people, and how would I recognize that? Mm-hmm. And then, th- and then three, what has the group hidden from you? Uh, is there research documentation that you should be aware of about this group and its history, and the history of its leader, that might persuade you to take a second uh, look to to think more seriously uh, about 
the possibility of leaving this group because it, this information was deliberately withheld from you and you did not know it. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then finally, the fourth uh, pillar would be, why is your family so worried about you? Here we are, we're doing an intervention. Uh, the, your family is sitting here, everyone is together, much like a drug or alcohol intervention. And uh, why are they here? What is it that they're worried about? What have they seen uh, in your behavior, changes that have occurred recently that has caused them to, to take this pretty drastic step of doing an intervention? And at that point, the family then enters the discussion offering all of the things that they're concerned about. And, and also in the other three categories of discussion, the family as eyewitnesses can say, well, this is what we saw that we thought was very manipulative that fits into those influence techniques that Rick is talking about, or these uh, defining attributes of a cult. This is what we saw when we went to one of the group meetings or we met people from the group or we talked to you about the group. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and when I'm sharing the research, they might say, yes, we also researched the group and found some of this information. So you go through that, which takes about three or four days, eight hours a day, and the person is free to go at any time. And, and people that leave in the first day or two, which I would call my failures, that's about three out of ten, oh uh, they, they just decide, I don't want to listen, I don't care. But most of the people will say, well, you know, this is my family. Mm -hmm. this, is my, this is my spouse, my adult children people that love me, and I, I owe it to them to sit and talk, even if I don't really believe that the group I'm in is a bad thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk just to satisfy them and to show them that there's really nothing to hide and the group is fine. Mm -hmm. And so in, in that process, they will stay for three or four days, and typically at the end of three or four days, they will decide, you know what, I'm going to take a break. I'm not going to continue with the group. I see things now that I didn't see before. And, of course, the group didn't want me to see these things. Mm -hmm. And, I, and any time anybody in the group discussed something like this, they were either shown the door or they were talked down. And so now I get it, and I'm going to take a break or I'm just going to stop. Okay. That's, that's, the, that's a success when that happens. Doesn't it just break your heart? when somebody, after all of that work and time and showing them the truth, when they decide to go back? Oh, yeah. It, it, it hurt me deeply. Uh, in, in one Nexium intervention that I did, the young man was just a wonderful person and very kind. And very, he, he had wonderful parents. Mm -hmm. They loved him very much. And, and he went back to the group, and Nancy Salzman was directly involved in that. Uh, she persuaded him uh, I, I, and, and it would coach him, and we could not get him to uh, stop communicating with Nancy Salzman during the intervention. He insisted on keeping his phone, texting her, communicating with her during the intervention, and of course at every turn she was trying to sabotage it, and ultimately he went back and he, uh, from what I heard later, uh, lost a great deal of money and, oh. and really suffered as a result of going back to the group. 
and and his parents both died uh, before I think he was able to fully reconcile with them, mm -hmm. and 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 I think that probably might haunt him. Uh, his parents were wonderful people, and. In fact, they were sued also by Keith Ranieri because they uh, funded the reports that I mentioned that the doctors wrote right. and that was that was published, and they were literally sued until they each died. First oh, the father, God. and then and then the mother, and then their estate was sued uh, until the entire lawsuit was dismissed, and then later Keith Ranieri was arrested. So I often think of that son. He, he was a very kind and good man, and I know he loved his parents, and I know that he wanted to do the right thing, but Nancy Salzman was yammering in his ear, and Keith Ranieri was his, quote, friend, end quote, and that really hurt him, and it hurt his life. Oh, that is, that is tragic. Very, very sad. Well, I'm, I'm grateful, though, that you are continuing with your work, and we're almost out of time, but I have to ask you about Chad and Lori Daybell. And again, for those of you that have been living in a cave somewhere and perhaps don't know about this case, uh, Lori Daybell's children were missing, J.J. and Tylee. They ended up dead in graves on her new husband's property, Chad Daybell. They are now both in jail awaiting trial, not for murder, but for things like tampering with evidence, um, uh, abuse of a corpse, things like corpse, things like that. Uh, is that were they were they a cult waiting to happen, or was Chad Daybell always trying to get a cult together? What's your opinion on that case? I think Chad Daybell is is responsible. I, I suspect that uh, he is behind what the deaths of the children. Uh, it's not clear how the children died, but uh, according to people that have talked with uh, with Lori Vallow, now known as Lori Daybell, uh, that she believed that her children were possessed and that perhaps the only way to free them was to kill them. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe that Chad Daybell influenced her to think that. Uh, Chad Daybell was a kind of self-styled prophet who wrote doomsday books that he published. Uh, he gathered a small but devoted following of people that, that were also uh, believers that the end times were near. And I think Chad Dable used that to create a sense of urgency and dependency upon him as the leader that would, that would uh, provide knowledge and safety for them in this turbulent apocalyptic time. And I think he convinced uh, Lori Vallow, uh, who, who became his wife, uh, after his wife died, uh, and, and then Lori's uh, ex-husband died, mm -hmm. uh, and, then, and then they married, and uh, they, were, they collected a very large insurance policy, I believe, on yes. uh, Chad... Chad Daybell's wife on Tammy on Tammy's life insurance, and they ended up in Hawaii, and then they eventually were arrested after the bodies were recovered. Mm -hmm. But for many many months, uh, people would ask, you know, Lori Vallow, uh, where are your children? Where are they? Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the grandparents uh, would ask, where is JJ? Mm -hmm. You know, and she would she would never answer the question, and 
after many months, people suspected that something terrible had happened to the children. And, and people that know Lori would say uh, she was not a bad mother. She was a good mother in many ways, and that she, uh, she had a number of marriages. She was divorced uh, a number of times but that uh, she didn't seem to be a person capable of doing harm to her children. Uh, but I believe that under, under the influence of Chad Daybell, Lori changed. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would liken it to another couple that, that some of your listeners might have heard about, which uh, had to do with the uh, kidnapping of, of Elizabeth Smart. Oh, very a much so, of, right. A 14-year-old girl mm -hmm. in Salt Lake City uh, in a wealthy family, and a man who called himself an end times prophet, Brian Mitchell, mm -hmm. came in, into the smart home in the middle of the night, abducted the 14-year-old girl, and he and one follower, Wanda Barzi, uh, believed that she needed to be his polygamist wife. Uh, she was raped. She was abused. Uh, she was isolated. She was tied up and put in a pit uh, to secure her. And Wanda Barzi was Brian Mitchell's only follower. And eventually, after Elizabeth Smart was, uh, was rescued by police near Salt Lake City and recovered by her family, uh, Wanda Barzi would offer damning testimony and, and information to the prosecution, and she would get a, a, a much more lenient sentence than Brian Mitchell, who mm -hmm. is now in prison, prison for the rest of his life. And I would say Mitchell, like uh, Chad Daybell, a very powerful personality uh, that, that really took advantage of, of uh, Wanda Barzi. And I think that Chad Daybell has taken advantage of and manipulated Lori Vallow. Right, and uh, that's going to be interesting to see because their court cases has na have now been joined and it's uh, going to happen, we're not sure when, but sometime next year. I cannot thank you enough, Rick Ross, for coming on today. You've answered a lot of our questions. I would highly recommend everybody, of course, watch Seduced Inside the Nexium Cult that is streaming now on the Stars Network. But a great gift for that true crime person that you love is the book. The book is called Cults Inside Out, How People Get In and Can Get Out by Rick Ross. Rick Ross, I'm going to have you on my YouTube show live and in person to take uh, questions from our chat room. And I hope you'll come on real soon. And again, thank you for your time and thank you for the work that you do. We all appreciate it. Thank you for having me on and having this conversation. Until we meet again, my darling true crime angels, Trisha Griffith saying so long. It's WebSleuth's radio podcast, and we'll see you again soon. Don't forget, patreon.com if you want to support WebSleuth. Five bucks a month. Great way to listen for extra content. Bye-bye.